The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a mostly lower day in the market trade on Wednesday after we had an update seen on Tuesday. We're going to talk about it here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. A lot to dive into here as we look at Wednesday's midweek trade action. We're going to get market perspective coming up today from Mike Zuzolo with Global Commodity Analytics few different uh, headlines out there, rumors out of China that may be uh, bear watching and more. So we're going to dive in and uh, get some good thoughts from Mike. I have no doubt in that coming up here as we go through our program today. He's going to join us starting in segment two. We'll also have a few updates from Arlen Suderman with Stone X from our Wednesday midday commentary. We'll listen to that coming up at the end of our program in segment four today. First up, though, we want to think about spring planting season ahead and how we could take some lessons learned in 2023 and apply them to 2024. Joining us now, LG Seeds agronomist in central Illinois, Brian Weimer is with us here on Market Talk today. Brian, thanks for joining us. Sounds like pretty good weather in your neck of the woods right now this week. Yeah, kind of a little bit of a false start with spring. Uh, everybody gets a little bit antsy when you get in the middle of February and you start getting nice weather like this. But um, this time of year, hey, we'll take it and get some things knocked out. Definitely. Well, and maybe getting some people thinking about the fact that spring planting season is right around the corner. And I, I want to get to that, but I want to set us up. Let's think about what we saw in that 2023 growing season. Obviously, you know, areas across the country had issues with with drought and dryness but we also ended up uh, with a record corn crop for instance things like that so what were some of the big lessons that you learned and others learned when it came to 2023's growing season let's start there yeah um i think if you were to go back in the month of june and, and tell growers that we were going to have the crop that we had this fall i think they would have thought you're crazy yeah we went through quite a bit of stress there in the month of june but um, you know, if you look back at the growing season, there was a lot of things that really set us up for success. And I think one of those starts at planting, you know, we had a really good planting window to get the crop in. Guys didn't have to push the envelope like they do most years. And, um, you know, we got that crop plant in really good conditions and uh, that set us up for a really good season. And the other thing, too, I, I cover central Illinois as well as southern Illinois um, for LG seeds and you know, for our area, you know, usually drainage is one of those things that's a limiting factor for us. And actually having the dry weather, we didn't have the drowned out spots that we usually see year after year. So um, some of those things really contributed to having such a, a really a great crop this past year. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, was when we went through the stress, we were actually able to cool off during the nighttime uh, days. So, you know, we were able to give that crop a chance to breathe and you know, when you went out and looked at crop, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, it actually looked pretty good. But three o'clock in the afternoon, you, you wanted to go find something else to do than drive around and look at crops. <laughs> um, so I think if there's one lesson that we learned big picture was that you never give up on a corn crop. You know, in the month of June, we were a lot of guys were thinking about pulling some things back and, and cutting some input costs because, you know, at the time you looked at the crop and walking through fields, you just didn't think you're going to have anything. But obviously, we saw something drastically different when combines started going through in the fall. 
And so uh, really probably one of the biggest lessons to learn is no matter how bleak things seem in the growing season, you never want to give up on this crop because, uh, you know, if growers did pull back some of those inputs in season, you know, it was uh, it was definitely hurting their bottom line when combines started going through. Well, and I know, too, uh, as far as the 2023 crop, we didn't necessarily see much in the way of disease and pest pressure. I know we did, but maybe it, it wasn't as as huge of an issue in certain areas uh, than that it has been in previous years. Would you agree with that, Brian? Yes, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, typically when you start looking at things, especially from a disease standpoint, you know, usually when you have those heavy disease environments, that's when you have humidity, you have a lot of rainfall. Um, and things like that. And, and we just didn't see that this year. It was really pretty mild from a disease standpoint. And from a pest standpoint as well, it was also a very uh, calm uh, summer, if you would call it that. Um, there just wasn't many huge hurdles and obstacles that we had to overcome from that side of things. Um, I do think from a disease standpoint, it's always a good idea to keep thinking about fungicides in your program with those crops because uh, those fungicide applications do aid in a couple of other different things. I think one thing, too, with the newer formulations, you get a lot better residual control than what you did with older formulations in the past. And the other thing, too, is it also helps from a crop harvestability standpoint. It keeps that plant green. It keeps it a lot healthier. And so if we do run into kind of some curveballs in harvest time, you know, that kind of gives us a little bit of an insurance that we're going to have a good standing and harvestable crop in the fall. Well, of course, no two growing seasons are the same. Lock and change between now and when we uh, roll combines later in 2024. But I know a lot of farmers are, are making seed decisions, things like that right now. We're getting geared up to plant this 2024 crop. So thinking of some of those lessons we learned in 23, what can we take and apply it to the 2024 growing season ahead? What would you tell folks they need to keep in mind right now, Brian? So one of the things that I always encourage growers to think about um, in any growing season and start planning for the following is, um, you know, really looking back historically on your farm and seeing what are those major things that have yielded success on your farm in years past. Um, you know, one of the big things we just talked about was growers were shocked at the crop they're bringing in. But then another theme that a lot of growers were finding, too, was nothing really stuck out. I mean, everything was, you know, we had a solid crop, you know, hybrids across the board did really well. Um, and a lot of our management practices uh, turned out to be very profitable and, and things seemed to just work out really well for us this past year. Um, so I always encourage growers to look back at some of the things that, you know, have historically worked really well and kind of building that baseline as you start thinking about next growing season. And the other thing too is not losing sight of trying some new things on your farm, some different farming practices, some things to keep moving forward and, and pushing the envelope. Uh, you know, you don't have to try things, you know, big scale. You can always do things smaller scale, try some test trials. Um, with the technology that we have and the equipment that we have, you know, it's a lot easier to do some of that on-farm research today than what it was in years past. And the other thing too is if growers are thinking about things you know, from a management practice standpoint that requires large capital expenditures like equipment, it doesn't mean we have to go out there and purchase those large pieces of equipment. You know, there's a lot of different options out there, whether it's a neighbor who has a piece of equipment that you'd like to try some on a few acres. There's always those options to test tri uh, trial those things um, and see if it's a fit for your farm and be thinking about the future as well and implementing new practices. Well, and to your point, 
lot of a uh, lot of new genetics out there a lot of different tools in the toolbox that uh, growers can take advantage of as uh, you know trying some of those new things like you said i mean and i just think about all the different options we have out there brian there's there's a lot of things that we can look at so i know folks uh, if they got questions they should talk to uh, their local agronomist such as yourself right yeah, you can always reach out to a local agronomist in your area. Um, and the other thing, too, is talking to different growers um, just within your community. Um, you know, it's amazing when you go out and just for myself talking to different growers, how fast things change in agriculture today. I mean, we talk about a lot. It just seems like things are moving at a rapid pace. Um, and it seems like any driveway I pull down, somebody's always trying something different. Um, which is great. And uh, there's a lot of things that we can learn from each other as well as uh, local agronomists in the area to help give you some guidance on some things that maybe you haven't tried in the past. Good thoughts. Brian Weimer with LG Seeds. Brian, thanks for joining us here on Market Talk. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. And thanks for having me. All right. Up next, we'll look at markets with Mike Zuzalo here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen well as we look at wednesday's session the uh, turnaround tuesday so to speak was short-lived as we gave back a lot of the gains that we got tuesday during wednesday's session across the grain and oil seed trade in fact uh, hitting some new lows it looked like in march corn a little more of a mixed tone in the livestock sector but overall uh, just kind of got back to the same old story it felt like in the ag markets. We're going to try to dissect this and talk about it. Joining us for a conversation, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, always good to talk with you, my friend. And, you know, I was hoping I watched Tuesday's action move higher, thinking, hey, maybe this short covering rally will continue to Wednesday. And Mike and I will have something positive to talk about. And then, well, here we go. Lower trade action on Wednesday. So I guess it wasn't in the cards, Mike. I think the bowl is made of China and we've dropped the bowl about 10 times and we can't get the pieces put back together. And again, I, I think this is where I, I think there's two things going on in this market for the most part, Jesse, broad brushing it. And that is we came back from the holiday weekend looking for a sentiment shift led by the Chinese Lunar New Year data. And the Lunar New Year data said essentially domestic travel up about 30 plus percent versus last year up about 20% versus pre-pandemic levels. So good numbers, strong demand numbers that gave the Chinese markets some support, equity markets, both in Shanghai and Hong Kong, finding support both Monday night and then we came back around Tuesday and again on Tuesday night. So I think wheat is a China-led market right now. Um, it's trying to put in a reversal to the upside on a weekly basis. We need to get above about 603, 604 in soft red wheat to do it. Um, the second part of this story, though, is about the demand side of the equation when it comes to row crops and also the South American weather premium just completely. It's like a drill has gone in the bottom of a bucket and we're just pulling weather premium out dramatically at this point. 
too early in my opinion, but that's how the funds work. Well, you uh, you raised some interesting correlations to me before we went on the air here. Looking at wheat, of course, you know, trying to maybe be our upside leaders. We've talked about numerous times, Mike, but how corn's not really cooperating. So let's dissect this a little bit. Uh, one of the charts you provided us here today to start, you're, you got an overlay here between SRW and copper. So what exactly are we watching here? How do these uh, two items correlate together right now, Mike? Yeah, disclaimer on today's charts, like most of our charts, I send these off to you before the close. So this is during the session that I copy these uh, out. Um, but, but what I'm looking at is a China-led commodity market. So what markets do we look at for overall global commodity demand and, and currency sensitivity? And that would be copper, crude oil, soybeans, wheat, and pork, hogs. Um, those are the Chinese commodities that I think are on the top of the list as far as what to track. And what I liked about this chart, and we will looked at this periodically throughout the last couple of years, is how similarly the copper and the wheat want to trade when things I think are going well in China and well with overall commodity demand. And you notice they travel very well together until you get to the later part, uh, third quarter of 2022. You see they both take a slide. They both try and come out of that slide. Copper comes out of the slide, but the wheat does not, and it keeps sliding lower. Well, that was actually a pretty good leading indicator that the copper was really not going to go anywhere um, in the long term. And so copper rejoined the party to the downside first quarter of 2023. And you can see how very close and lockstep these two markets have been, Jesse, pretty much for over a year now. And again, that's what I like is the consistency of this trade. So all of a sudden we're seeing copper try and want to launch again, and it's taken out some major highs. You know, that line, that blue line, if you look at it, it's actually making some fresh 2024 highs at this stage of the game. Wheat's trying to look up and say, can I, can I follow you or not? And so I think this is where we're at right now with the Chinese demand sentiment being mostly focused in some of these key commodities. And wheat is so important because wheat is planted all over the world and wheat is so currency sensitive as a result of that. I did like how wheat closed Wednesday. For most of the session, it looked like we were giving back about half of the gains or so that we had on Tuesday. Yet, you know, I look at uh, at SRW futures, for instance. Uh, I look at just really across the entire wheat complex. I mean, things kind of clawed their way off those lows on the day Wednesday. So I, I think that was maybe a positive thing to take away, Mike. I can't agree. I couldn't agree more because you're, you're looking at a market that's, as I said earlier, negative, the, the row crop weather in South America. But you got a lot of potential hard red wheat and soft red wheat weather to look at here because we're really warming up. I mean, we're going to be in the mid 70s uh, by the time we get to the weekend in central southern Kansas and Oklahoma, Texas will be in the 80s. And I can tell you, I've double checked this, Jesse. I heard the Kansas City News guy say that we were heading into our driest February on record. And that's true for this part of Kansas, eastern, northeastern Kansas is really looking at extremely historic dry weather for the month of February. So between the weather and then we go back to the wheat corn spread and that food grade versus feed grain type of mindset. And we just broke above 170 again today. 
we're at the highest level on a closing basis, weekly basis wise, since August, July of last year. And so we're at a level now, we go above 175 wheat over corn. You tend to see the corn really start to react positively with any additional gains in the wheat market. So these are the things that I, why I think you're right on the money there. Well, let's talk about the relationship here with corn. I'll pull up another chart. Uh, and really, I mentioned this at the top of the show, corn, spot contract, more new contract lows here. I know a lot of folks are just shaking their head at this corn market. So what are you seeing here? And I know, too, Mike, I think with this chart, looking at CFTC data and more, still a record short position here in this corn market by a lot of the managed money, right? Yeah, I think we are there now. I mean, the, the green arrow back in 2019 was a little under 323,000 contracts, futures and options. I think we've probably taken that out at this stage with these new three-year lows. We're, we're essentially at December 2020 levels for both corn and beans. 409 is your next support for March corn. 1142 and a half is your next support for March beans because that's where you're at when it comes to the D's 2020 lows. What I don't like about the corn, and it really hurt today, um, I, I put in basis contract recommendations for 20 to 30 percent of my 2023 bushels that clients are holding in the bin about a month ago. And I told them, I said, you know, we got about three, four weeks for this thing to work where the futures goes up and it's done nothing but go down as the funds have added new net shorts. So I had to do a text blast today and keep the discipline and recommend taking the hit of 45 cents or roughly 45 cents on the future side of the equation. Um, and the main reason I took that recommendation and ran with it four weeks ago, Jesse, is because we broke above 450 on a closing basis and we were already net short about 250,000 contracts. And I just didn't think they the funds would want to get that much more net short on, in this market. And that's the problem in this market is the funds tend to overdo it. And, and that's where those basis contracts that I had to lock in the futures, I want to brokerage clients to, generally speaking, come back in and buy those markets back, um, especially if we can get that low in the wheat and that reversal that close back above the $6 area in soft red wheat. I don't want to throw uh, good money after bad by buying into a breaking market, but I really don't think we should be here at this price level in the corn market. Oh, and to your point there on some of those basis contracts, Mike, I mean, this is kind of that time period of the month as we're looking at a lot of these different March futures that uh, folks got to make those decisions. I mean, it's, you got to either decide to do something or, or look to roll it over or whatever the case is. But this is kind of that time window, isn't it, Mike? It is. Cash flow is absolutely necessary. The, the commercials know that. Um, the, the basis side of the equation was, uh, was looking good. And if the futures market would have rallied, I think the basis would have been widened out. Um, I think two other things came into this before March notice day, first notice day on the 29th here on the futures market is the South American weather premium, as we talked about, is really being pulled out and sucked out of this market. On, on improving weather, um, but it could have gone the other way. And if we would have remained dry in Argentina, I don't think we'd be sitting with this net short contract in, in the corn market by the funds. And the last thing I'll, I'll throw out, Jesse, is the EPA. We've got this EPA question mark where we've wanted, the, the, the major legislatures have gone out and said, look, give us 2024 summer, uh, starting summer all year, E15. Now the White House is saying it's not going to be until next year. And I think that really did hurt um, psychologically. And from a basis standpoint, 
I've noticed some of the ethanol producers in the middle part of the country have started to widen their basis out again. So it, it was just several things that came together that would not give us this futures led rally back up. Um, so now we just kind of wipe the slate clean and uh, start all over again. Well, definitely some interesting thoughts to consider. We have more to our discussion that we need to get to. We're up against the clock, though, so we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back and have our continued conversation on what's going on in the markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. We will be back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Mike Zuzlo from Global Commodity Analytics here on Market Talk. And uh, Mike, let's uh, look at another chart. This is a uh, soy hog overlay, kind of continuing this theme of uh, China-related markets that you're watching here right now. So let's let's talk on soybeans. I know especially soybeans were kind of the downside loser on Wednesday's trade for, for U.S. futures. So talk about what you're seeing here right now. Yeah, this is one of the most important charts for the next 30 to 45 days for me, both from a standpoint of the livestock sector and also the soy complex, because I still believe, Jesse, when you look at the totality of the supply demand fundamentals and this China-led market, if China really isn't going to heal up and the demand sentiment's not going to improve, I think beans still have the most to lose from that, especially if the Brazilians and the Argentines can come away with the crop that the trade thinks they can come away with. And so looking at 1150 November beans against 450 uh, December corn, I talked to a client very close to me today and I said, uh, are you busy putting gas on because it's so warm? He goes, yeah, we're doing that. We're doing tiling. But he said, I've also got some river bottom ground that I'm going to move over to beans because I just can't stand this decent corn price. I, I really think this is a situation where the beans have a lot to lose. And, and for me to feel like we could go to $4 D's corn futures by the end of the year makes me think we can go to $10 no bean futures or 1040 no bean futures. So <clears throat> the premium is still in the beans unless China says otherwise. And if China says otherwise, wheat and corn got to come in. So that takes you to the livestock sector. The hogs have decidedly moved higher, broken back up into new 2024 highs here. Are they predicting and foretelling, foreshadowing what's going to happen with the overall commodity market as it relates to China? Or is this just a blip on the screen? And I think Friday's export sales that's going to be released a day late due to the holiday could be a big one because USDA said they have they came in with the wrong pork weekly export sales number last week. I'm guessing they're going to drain that and bring it down. So be very, very cautious here in the hog sector. And I'm going to be watching this spread very closely. 
one other quick note I just wanted to ask you about since we're kind of on the topic of soybeans here before we uh, go to another chart here. I heard some rumors that maybe China's getting ready to release some soybeans from its reserves on uh, Tuesday into Wednesday. It looked like that maybe impacted Dalian futures overnight. I'm just wondering if maybe you heard some of that same rumor as well, Mike. Yeah, I wasn't going to talk about that today too much because I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up, but I, I don't know much about it. I don't know if it's just mm -hmm. rumor mill, but that's that's exactly the issue and what I was kind of dancing around is if you don't get burned by the last five to seven years of Chinese soybean demand holding in there mm -hmm. um, because the market is starting to suggest to me that they're realizing that if, if it's going to get hurt, it's going to get hurt with Brazil taking most of the bean demand away from us. And so this is what I think we need to wake up to in the United States if trade conditions get worse. And I did not like the fact that China came out today and said relating to the United Nations vote that the United States put out yesterday in support of Israel, that they were getting ready to create a, quote, slaughter in the Gaza Strip. It seems to me between the new Russian sanctions, the fear that they're going to be fresh Chinese sanctions, and this rhetoric that's ramping up, while I see this data coming out of the Lunar New Year get better, the, the trade tensions are still very high. So be very careful about those beans at this stage. Okay. All right. Well, not to lead you down that path, but maybe it's something we'll we'll pick up as a topic on a future program here for sure. Let's uh, another uh, kind of grain livestock related chart feeder corn ratio. Let's talk about this as we segue a little more into the livestock side. What are some things you're watching here right now, Mike? Yeah, this is a great ratio and it has been for the better part of two years. I mean, ever since the end of 2022, you see how the funds have really taken into the feeder cattle and sold the corn. And I think this is part of the jet fuel for the, the feeder cattle highs and the corn lows. The, the, the momentum underneath this ratio continues to really perform well. And we see that that, that 0.61 actually means that feeder cattle are 61 times premium lead month corn. We're up to 2015 levels. We're dancing close to that 2015 high. And then we've got the 2014 high up there at about 75, 76 times uh, corn price. So this is one of the leading indicators I'm using for A, when to hedge feeders other than for profit, whether I do puts, whether I do short futures and recommendations, whether I sell some calls um, and where I come back in and get some long corn positions uh, built back into the market, kind of very similar along the same lines of, of wheat as far as what this chart shows me. And notice this feeder corn ratio in the last roughly five, six weeks. Um, well, actually last four months, essentially, it's a, a pretty long term chart. Uh, you've seen kind of a parabolic straight move up that tends to kind of exhaust itself very, very quickly. So this is another really crucial chart in the next 30 to 45 days for both the feeders and the corn. So kind of need to be watching both hogs and beans and feeders and corn and how they interact again because of the funds and the speculation. Oh, good, good stuff here. Uh, let's talk as well, sticking on the cattle train. Let's look at a uh, April cattle chart here. Um, and I know, too, in terms of this cattle market overall, Mike, uh, cattle on feed reports coming up Friday after the close. 
everyone's seemingly leaning, leaning pretty bullish with that report. So I know that's a talking point in these cattle markets here this week as well. Yeah, and I'm really glad you set it up that way because we haven't talked about the cattle since last week. And I, I think this trade is really getting bulled up and that kind of scares me and it kind of makes me feel like the cattle on feed report better be bullish because the expectation is bullish. And so what I'm pointing out here on this chart, Jesse, is in the blue, there is a gap in that April chart at 190. 30 essentially, and that goes back to mid-October when we made that uh, break to the downside. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a bearish report, and we can talk about what a bearish report would be, but if we got a bearish report and filled that gap and then started heading lower, that would be a sell signal for me and a hedge signal for the fat cattle, and, and I'm guessing it would be for the feeders as well. If we get a bullish report, fill that gap and stay above that gap on a closing basis, that opens you up, I think, technically to try and get back to that 100% retracement level and get back close to that $200 level in the April fat cattle. That's ultimately the place where I'd really like to get some serious hedging business done. Well, since you brought it up, I mean, what could a bearish report look like possibly on this cattle on feed on Friday? I was just looking for some of the estimates here, but I know uh, in terms of like placements, that's the number I think a lot of folks are really watching, maybe down in that 86% range, I believe, Mike. So, I mean, you know, I, I guess if we get something in the 90s, maybe that would yeah. that would be bearish. I mean, what would that mean to this cattle market, do you think? No, I think you're right. 91 is the top end from what I've seen, Jesse. You get above 90, I think that really hurts the feeder prospects. And then the, if you also take the marketings well below 100, because the average trade guess is right around 100 or just below 100. Um, you really want to see strong demand through those marketings as well. So those are the two numbers that I think are so important. And the range on placements is so wide. Again, we just don't know what's out there to be put into the feedlots versus holding back. And I think producers, cattlemen, uh, just coming back from Colorado and being in Nebraska about a month ago, um, and producer cattlemen around here, I think the idea is they're still going to retain. They're more excited than they have been about building their herd back up. But, you know, how much is out there uh, to be built back up? But it would make sense at this stage with the way the moisture levels have improved. Hay prices aren't terrifically expensive at this point, And the corn price obviously being very, very uh, uh, optimistic for the cattlemen <clears throat> that we would see a lower placements number. Well, good thoughts. Uh, great analysis as always, Mike. Before we let you go, anything final you want to share or reiterate with folks here as they're watching the markets this week? I would just say psychologically, I've taken a lot of phone calls and text messages and, and it is tough out there in agriculture, but keep your head up and don't get down. And I'd say this, this marketplace feels a lot like 2000, 2001, when everybody was getting super, super negative and deflationary in their mindset. But there's a lot of data out there, inflation data especially, that suggests we're not deflationary right now. So we're really ultra focused on China. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's right. But I don't think that's something that um, is something to worry about long term. So I'm not ready to throw in the towel and you shouldn't be either. All right. Well, if folks want to reach out to you with questions, get advice, look at your research and more. How can they get a hold of you, Mike? globalcomresearch.com, Jesse, and that's globalcom with two Ms, research.com, and you can sign up for a trial or give me a call there on the toll-free number. Fantastic. Mike Zuzalo, always good to chat with you, sir. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk again this week. We will talk to you next week. I appreciate you having me on, Jesse. Thanks so much. Once again, great stuff, great conversation there with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics joining us here today on Market Talk. 
And again, uh, kind of a down day in the grains on the day Wednesday. Let's take a look at some of the final numbers from the session. Corn for March was down seven to three quarters at four eleven. December new crop corn down five and three quarters, four fifty-seven and a quarter. March beans eighteen and a quarter lower, eleven sixty and three quarters. November beans down twelve, eleven forty-five and three quarters. Bead meal March down five sixty a ton at three forty-two. March bead oil down fifty-eight points, forty-four eighty-three. Chicago wheat March half penny higher, five eighty-three and a quarter. July was down two, five seventy-eight. Kansas City wheat March eight and a half lower, five seventy-seven and a quarter. July down four and three quarters, five sixty-eight. Spring wheat, March six and a quarter lower, six fifty-nine and a quarter. July down three and three quarters, six sixty-four and three quarters. Meantime, over in the livestock trade, lean hogs, April, 30 higher, 85.97. May up 35, 89.35. June hogs down 20 at 97.97 on Wednesday. March feeder cattle, two lower, 251.35. Feeder cattle for April up 57, 255.92. May up a dollar. 259.12. Feb live cattle down 42, 183.97. April up 37 at 187.70. And June live cattle up 35 at 183.30 on the day, Wednesday. Let's recap some of the closing numbers for grains and livestock. Coming up next, we are going to hear some of the market comments from our midday commentary on Wednesday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. Also take a look at a few news headlines, including the latest on fertilizer prices as we got to start thinking about spring supplies. We'll get to that and more coming up after this. Back with Market Talk on the way right after the break. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. you informed with the latest market information for your operation this is market talk now back to jesse allen and welcome back to market talk thanks to mike zuzalo from global commodity analytics for joining us for market analysis here today also good thoughts from brian weimer with lg seeds an agronomic update earlier in the show just some things to remember as uh, i know some folks in some parts of the country might be getting a little bit of spring fever with the nice weather and maybe getting antsy and thinking about spring planting season but i know uh you just got to make sure you got a plan in place and, and make sure you think about some different tools in that toolbox uh, when it comes to getting ready for spring planting season as we move deeper into 2024. Well, let's talk a little more on the markets. Uh, earlier on Wednesday, I had a conversation with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. Talked with him for our midday commentary on Wednesday and got his thoughts on what he's seeing in the market trade, 
Talked about some rumors out there in the Chinese soybean market that could have an impact on soybeans as a whole here. And so we talk about that and get his general thoughts on some of the pullback in Wednesday's session in the grains. Also, we talked about the livestock trade, maybe gearing up in cattle for that cattle on feed report coming up on Friday. So here's some thoughts and perspective from Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX from Wednesday's midday commentary, starting with the grain trade. Yeah, we're seeing double-digit losses in the soybean complex. Uh, generally, weakness across the grain and oilseed sector. Ample supplies, the fund still focusing on commodity deflation there without a story. We had a story over the weekend with a couple of grain ships uh, hit by Houthi rebels in the Red Sea area. Um, but that didn't last long. Once the headline cooled, they went back and reverted to the default mode of commodity deflation of selling added pressure on soybeans this morning a couple of things there one is the rumors in china you talked about within the cash market there that that the government may be on the cusp of releasing one million metric tons of reserve soybeans onto the cash market we can't confirm the rumor uh, but it did certainly pressure the chinese futures market uh, overnight and during their day session today uh, Chinese soybean imports based on scheduled shipments are currently now expected to be about 4 million metric tons below year-go levels for the first quarter of the year. And so they may be releasing those rather than leaning more on soybean, U.S. soybeans. And that may add more pressure to Brazilian market as well, where the cash basis has really collapsed anyway. Another rumor coming out of Brazil, it, based on some satellite studies, is that uh, soybean area expansion over the last few years may have been much more than what we anticipated. So we may have more acres growing soybeans to offset some of the production losses due to adverse weather during the growing season. So those, those two factors really kind of weighing on this market today. I think overall, too, Arlen, you know, fundamentally, we've talked about this, fundamentals really haven't changed in these markets. There's still a lot of bearish weight on the grains. And so some of those like short-covering rallies we saw on Tuesday are maybe potential opportunities for farmers here. It just feels like outside of some big story to shift the bearish sentiment in these markets, it feels like we're kind of just stuck with this current trade mindset right now, isn't it? It is. And one of the problems that we face is the Brazil farmer is very undersold and he sells based off of the Chicago market. He's he's waiting for a rally to sell as well. I talked to one of our brokers there yesterday. Uh, he said that I asked him what price would it take for a Brazilian farmer to sell? And he said, probably a rally of a dollar. Now, it's not just a rally of a dollar on, on the futures market. And we're talking soybeans here. Um, but that would have to be a combination of basis, currency exchange rates, and the futures market to give them another dollar, uh, at least until they run out of money. But he says many of them right now are taking out loans, believe it or not, to have so they can avoid having to sell soybeans at these prices. And so that's got to be a concern for us and uh, knowing that if we do get a rally, that there's going to be a lot of selling south of the equator. And over in the livestock trade, kind of mixed quiet day in cattle and hogs there and the proteins. I know we're getting ready for that cattle on feed report Friday. So maybe squaring some positions uh, in the cattle trade ahead of that report, Arlen. 
Yeah, absolutely. That report expected to show that placements are down about 12% versus a year ago level. So that's one of the things that could certainly be a market mover come Monday with that report coming out after the markets close on Friday. Uh, We did see another nine loads of new deliveries in the cattle market last night. Cash markets are generally called firmer this week and seasonally that could be uh, of a high likelihood. Packers, even with the smaller kills, may still have incentive to add inventory given the premiums in the futures. Estimates for this week's kill continue to be revised lower to now somewhere near 590,000, um, considerably slower than what would normally be expected and our smallest non-holiday total yet. And once again, good stuff there with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for our midday commentary on the day Wednesday. Always good to uh, get his perspective and thoughts on what is happening and what is moving in the market trade. Want to look at uh, fertilizer price trends real quick. For the first time in several months, more retail fertilizer prices were higher than lower than the previous month, according to sellers surveyed by DTN. During the third week of February, prices for five of the eight major fertilizers were higher than last month, while prices for the remaining three fertilizers were lower. For the fourth straight week, however, no fertilizer saw a significant price move, which DTN designates as anything 5% or more. Now, the fertilizers that were higher in price included DAP, with an average price of $739 per ton, 10340 at $610 a ton, and Hydrus at $771 a ton, UAN28 at $336 a ton, and UAN32 at $392 a ton. The three fertilizers that were just slightly lower in price from last month were MAP, with an average price of $809 a ton, Potash at $504 a ton, and Urea at $529 a ton. Now, on a price per pound of nitrogen basis, the average urea price was $0.57 a pound and hydrous at $0.47 a pound, UAN 28 at $0.60 a pound, and UAN 32 at $0.61 per pound. Again, that is according to sellers surveyed by DTN for the third week of February 2024. Well, with that, we're out of time here on the program today. Thanks for joining us. Coming up tomorrow, we'll get market analysis and thoughts from Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, and we'll keep our eyes on what is moving in these markets and keep you updated here on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you coming up tomorrow.